Let's all bow before Almighty Yahweh and come before his throne. Father, we come before you. We thank you so much for the wonderful blessings that you've given to each one of us. We pray, Yahweh, that what we do here today would be pleasing in your sight. We pray that you would work with each one of us, not only change who we are from the outside, but also from within, that we may be found worthy of your calling. Father, we strive to do your will. We strive to follow and honor you. We pray that you would guide us and that you would strengthen us in our efforts. Father, we give you all praise and we thank you for those here and we thank you for those out there worshiping you in spirit and truth. And we also pray a special prayer for those on the prayer list that you'd be with each one. And we thank you in Yahshua's name. We ask all this. Hallelujah. Y'all may be seated. Certainly a blessing to see everybody here today. Well, today I want to talk about anger and what the Bible says about this. You know, as a believer in the Messiah, we should not allow anger to control us. You know, while we know that Yahshua on a few occasions showed righteous anger, I think it would be hard-pressed to find that he ever allowed anger to be a detriment to himself or to others. He always, he was always in control of his emotions, of his actions, of his behavior. And you know, as his disciples, we're to strive for this same goal. We're to strive to always have control of our emotions. Now, even though we're to strive, as human beings, we know that we're not perfect. We know that we fall short, you know, just because we're immersed in Yahshua's name, those of us who are immersed, does not make us immune to this. You know, some people, they're under this delusion that once they get immersed, that's it. That from that point on, they're going to be perfect. And, of course, we know those of us in the faith for any length of time, that's, that's not how Yahweh works. The fact is, even after immersion and receiving the Holy Spirit, we must still strive to change who we are. We must still strive to apply Yahweh's word. We must still strive to live according to his truth. You know, even after the Apostle Paul came to the knowledge of truth, we, we see this in Romans 7, we know that Paul said that he died daily to sin, died daily to sin. Now, for, rec- for the record, this does not mean that uh, Paul was this habitual sinner. Now, some people, they read this and think, oh, no, what was Paul doing? Well, Paul was not a habitual sinner. Paul was a good guy. But Paul also recognized and understood that through this flesh that we have that he sinned and fell short on a daily basis. So as we see from the word, it's not uncommon for believers to struggle with things like anger. Of course, we, we enlist a whole slew of things, right? Jealousy, strife, envy, you know, many, many characteristics that we as believers should strive to overcome. Now, today I want to focus on anger. It's always important to focus on some of these topics we may not focus on all the time because, again, as believers, we need to be overcomers, right? We need to overcome these inward characteristics, negative. Now, before talking about some of the negative or aspects of anger, the detriments of anger, I want to I say this. For many people, anger is not something easy to overcome, and I've counseled people in, about this, and, and uh, they, they, the spouse often thinks, where well, it's just, just like a, a switch. You'll just flip it off. Well, and I wish it worked that way. I really do, and it doesn't. You know, it's like anything else we struggle with as human beings. It takes time takes patience. And, uh, you know, some people struggle with this all their their life, and and, um, it it takes time. But, you know, on the top of the list, I think, number one, it's important to acknowledge when we have a shortcoming. And, again, this isn't just anger. This couldn't be be anything, any shortcoming, to acknowledge that we have a shortcoming, we have an issue. And then, number two, humble ourselves, especially for those who have wronged us. I think if we acknowledge our sin and then we seek to humble ourselves, that Yahweh can work with us. I want to begin today by reviewing some of the actual health risks with excessive anger. Excessive anger. So I'm not just talking about just simple anger. This is really excessive anger. Someone is angry all the time. All the time. It really takes a toll on us. So the first uh, source, this is actually an official study. It was done in Australia. It it, uh, is entitled Anger, How It Affects People. It was uh, from the government of Victoria. So here's what it says. Here's some of the detriments of anger. So uh, headaches. Headaches can be produced 
through anger, digestion problems, insomnia, people can't sleep when they're angry, increased anxiety, depression, of course, we know that's true, high blood pressure, I think most people know that, right? Blood pressure goes up when we're upset. Skin problems, or when skin, skin issues when we're angry. Heart attack, and one more thing here, strokes. All these things can be impacted when we, when, when we show excessive anger. One more study here. This is uh, Seven Ways Anger is Ruining Your Health. This is from EverydayHealth.com. And it says excessive anger can uh, lead to an angry outburst, puts your heart at greater risk. So, again, that heart issue there affects our heart. Uh, anger stirs up your stroke risk. We saw that in the last study. It weakens your immune system, so we're not as healthy when we're angry. We're not as healthy. Anger problems can make your anxiety worse. Notice, by the way, the similarities between the study that we just read and this study here. You know, uh, they, 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 uh, so many studies point out the same risks. Anger is also linked to depression, another one we saw in the last study. And hostility can hurt your lungs. And the last one here is uh, anger can shorten your life. So these are all impacts of anger from a medical perspective. They've shown and proven throughout the years. And so we can see here from these sources how anger can affect our health. Again, just to sort of recap here, we have headaches, sleeping disorders, depression, high blood pressure, and these things can put us at higher risk, then, for heart attacks and strokes. So based on our own health, there's many reasons why we should avoid excessive anger, why we should avoid a strife, why we should avoid a hostility, why we should avoid even things like jealousy and envy, which also impacts many of these things as well. Now, not only, though, does anger impact us. Many people, they, they, they realize, okay, so this isn't good for me, but we also know that anger impacts those around us. It's not just about us, it's those around us. You know, as uh, many of us know, the impact can lead to both physical and emotional abuse. I've uh, counseled, I've witnessed, I've um, heard from many people over the years in my position, calling and writing, talking about how they're abused, both emotionally and physically. So anger can cause many of these risks. Matter of fact, speaking of physical abuse, and we read this in the uh, Bible study or the uh, Torah reading today, I want to review Genesis 4 again, 5 through 8. Of course, we know that from the uh, reading, this is referring to Cain and Abel. It says, but Abel brought fat portions for some of the firstborn of his flock. Yahweh looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry. And his face was downcast. Then Yahweh said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face, face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let us, or let's go out into the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Now, why did Cain kill his brother Abel? Well, we see here that he was, it says, very angry with his brother Abel. He was jealous of the fact that Yahweh accepted his offering and not, and not his. Now, I'm not sure why the two, I know there's different theories out there as to why Yahweh accepted one, not the other. But we see here that because of this rejection that Abel was upset, he was jealous and he became enraged with his brother. So as we see, he brought his brother out in the field and killed his brother because of this rage, because of this anger. Now, obviously, we've seen this same scenario play out hundreds, thousands of times throughout the history of mankind, rage and jealousy leading to murder. Now, there are two things that Yahweh says here that I want to focus on for just, just a few moments. Number one, he tells uh, Cain here, he said that when we don't do what is right, that sin is crouching at the door. Sin is crouching at the door. In other words, when we disobey Yahweh, sin is near. Sin is imminent. And that's true. You know, as many of us know, First John 3, 4 defines sin. 
It's a sin. It's a breaking of the transgression of Yahweh's law, his commandments. So we know what sin is. And we see here that when we again disobey our father, sin is at the door. Number two, Yahweh tells Cain here that he desires, the sin desires to have us. And he said that we must master sin. You know, this reminds me of what Paul says in the book of Galatians. You know, he speaks about the flesh and the spirit. And he speaks about how the one is at odds with the other. We also know, and we've also seen, I'm sure everybody here has seen examples of people who mean will, well, they want to do right, but they allow their flesh to win the battle. They allow their flesh to pull them away from Almighty Yahweh. Whereas we see here, and as Yahweh conveyed here to Cain, he says that we're to master sin. Where all this simply saying is that we're to overcome sin. You see, as believers, one of the main roles I believe we have is, is overcomers. We must be overcomers. We must overcome who we are today and mold ourselves according to Yahweh's image. Mold ourselves according to his ethics and his morals. And again, that means controlling our emotions, not allowing excessive anger, not allowing strife. Well, there's one more example I want to look at of an angry person. may not think of this person as angry. really was a great guy in so many ways. But nonetheless, we find that he had one account. So Numbers 20. Numbers 20, 10 through 13 says this. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. And he said unto them, Hear now, you rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote, he smote, he hit the rock twice. And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also. And Yahweh spake unto Moses and Aaron, Because you believed me not, to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. This is the water of Meribah, because the children of Israel strove with Yahweh, and he was sanctified in them. Now, many of us know this story. I didn't read the full account. Moses here was earlier. He said, just speak to this rock. Not to hit the rock, not to smoke the rock. He says, just speak to this rock. And if you speak to the rock, water will then gush out. Whereas we see here, Moses instead took his big staff and he gave two hits. He smote, Scripture says, a rock twice. Now, some say, on a side note, that this rock symbolized Yahshua the Messiah, and I tend to agree with that, by the way, that this rock probably did, because we know that Scripture says that the rock, and the, uh, that Yahshua was a rock that followed the Israelites, and some actually upper cases. But anyway, that's, I just tend to agree with that, showing it's even more, uh, more of a crucial thing what he did here. Now, why do you suppose Moses smote this rock? Instead of simply speaking, obviously he knew that he should speak to the rock. Speaking to the rock was not difficult. Matter of fact, probably took more energy to hit the rock than to speak to the rock. So why do you suppose he did this? Or some say that this was a lack of faith. That maybe Moses did not believe that simply speaking to the rock would produce the water. Well, I don't believe that was it. I, I believe that this was just frustration and anger on Moses' part. He was just up to his eyeballs with this rebel as he calls the people of Israel. The word rebel here is a primitive root. It's a marah in the Hebrew language. It means to be bitter, to rebel, to resist, and to provoke. You know, we know that the Bible describes the people of Israel as what? The Bible describes the people of Israel as stiff-necked, right? The Bible describes the people of Israel as as rebels here, but, but certainly as rebellious. We also know that Israel, under Moses, numbered in the millions. You know, some say that they numbered anywhere from two to six million. I believe, personally, that it's probably closer to two to three million. But think about that number, two to three million. So based on the number and the nature of Israel, you can only imagine the frustration and anger Moses must have had. I mean, think about that. Two to three million people constantly nagging, complaining, I have a hard time with just a few. No wonder why he shows here the anger, the frustration. 
he lashed out and did not obey Yahweh's, we find, within the word. Now, what was the punishment for this irreverence? What was Yahweh's punishment to Moses for, for lashing out as he did? Or Yahweh tells Moses here that he would not enter into the promised land. He was not allowed to go into the promised land because of what he did here. Because of the irreverence that he showed to Almighty Yahweh. You know, on a side note, I think this also shows another lesson. He only hit the rock, and I hit it twice instead of speaking. Some people say, might say, that's, that's a small thing. Where's, where, where's the big deal in that? You know, why punish Moses as Yahweh did here? We and I believe that this shows no matter how small or large we view something, if Yahweh says to do it, we're to do it. I can give you many, many more examples to illustrate this point. I'll give you one more just offhand. Remember Uzzah? Uzzah, the guy that was in the back of the ark or the uh, cart with the Ark of the Covenant. They hit a bump or something, sort of shook the ark. And Uzzah immediately stretches out his hand to stabilize the ark. And that very moment, Yahweh killed Uzzah. Now, from all accounts, Uzzah was a pretty good guy. Nothing in Scripture to to degradate his character, to say that he had some sort of moral issue. But Yahweh says, don't touch the ark. Yahweh says, you carry the ark with the poles. And David did not do that, and Uzzah died as a result. So when Yahweh says something, he means it. When Yahweh gives a command, even if we believe sometimes it's not important, he means it, and we're, we're to follow it. We see similar commands even in the New Testament, examples of this. I want to move on now and talk about what we find in the books of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Two of my favorite books, Ecclesiastes maybe being a little bit more favored on my part, but great, great information within these books as it pertains to anger and also humility and things of that nature. So I want to begin with uh, Proverbs 15, verse 1. Proverbs 15.1. It says there in Proverbs 15, verse 1, it says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. So we find here two very important lessons in how we should communicate. You know, it's not often what we say, but how we say it. Have you ever found that to be true? It's not what we say. Because, you know, I can say something two very different ways. I can communicate two very different messages based on the way I say those words. I can use anger. I can use animosity. I can use strife. Or I can use something like humility or compassion or love. When we use anger, what normally happens? What normally happens when we use Something like strife or anger or animosity. Or we normally exasperate or make the situation worse. We normally don't improve the situation. We normally just exasperate the already bad situation. The sad reality is, you know, within many marital disputes, normally we're not thinking about compassion, are we? Or humility, you know, when we're going at it. No, we're, we're thinking about how we can one-up or how we can win the debate instead of thinking about humility or love or compassion upon her for our spouse. Now, there are some people, though, that are just blessed with a great demeanor, a demeanor of peace, a demeanor of humility. I know a few people like that, a few people in this assembly, and, and a few people part of this assembly, even not here, but in other states. Just great, great people, very positive attitude. I'm sure you can think of a few people yourself. And most often, these people, when they reply, they, they seem to diffuse the situation, don't they? They just have a way of diffusing the situation, simply in the way they respond. The Solomon again says here, a soft answer turns away wrath. A soft answer can be a humbled answer, can be a compassionate answer, can be a loving answer. You know, but again, the same is not true for those who respond in anger. When we communicate in anger, most often that anger is going to stir up more anger. That's what it means to exasperate the situation. When we use anger to respond to to anger, we exasperate the already angry situation. So the lesson here is that we should communicate in love, humility, compassion, and those attributes that I believe we would find and we see from our Savior, Yahshua the Messiah. Now we find a similar passage. A lot of these are very similar, by the way, but I 
I want to review each one, or many, uh, several of them. Proverbs uh, 30, verse 33 says this for us. And notice the imagery here. You know, Scripture uses the imagery to express an idea. It says, as they're turning, the milk produces butter. We've all seen that, right? People produce butter, that stick that goes up and down. I've actually never seen it in person, but I've seen it in books. Some of you have seen it in person. It says, as a twisting, the nose produces blood. I won't go there. So stirring up anger, it says, produces strife. Now, the word strife here is from the Hebrew reb. According to Brown Driver Briggs, it defines reb. It says it refers to a controversial dispute. To a controversial dispute. So when we use anger in a situation, a dispute, some sort of issue that is already contentious, I guarantee you that it's only going to make the situation worse. It's not going to improve things. It's not going to help things. It's not going to improve the already robust discussion. Again, this is why Solomon says says that a soft answer turns away wrath. If we try to resolve anger to resolve with anger, or we're not going to make the situation better. It's going to be worse. So again, we're to use things like love, compassion, humility when resolving issues of this nature. And believe me, as human beings, I know this is hard. Because again, Paul speaks about the flesh. Paul speaks about constantly how our flesh wants to do one thing, and yet through the Spirit we desire to do something different. And it takes a lot of conviction on our part to follow through with the Spirit, to do those things that are fitting, to do do those things that that are of Yahweh. So I know this is not easy. But as a believer, we have this obligation, right? As a believer, we have this responsibility. We can't tell Yahweh, yeah, I know that's what your word says, but I just never had the strength to to really fully implement that. As a believer, we must strive to change. And we're going to be rewarded, I believe, accordingly. If If we never get beyond second or third base because we refuse to restrain our nature, I believe that our reward will be, will be compensated in a similar way. Matter of fact, we all remember what Paul says, right? Paul says that he had to restrain his flesh. Remember that? Paul says that he had to restrain himself so that in the end he himself would not become a castaway, so that he would not be rejected. So Paul realized the need to restrain his flesh. Paul understood that if a person allows their flesh to determine what and how they do things, that it's not going to end well. We also see anger mentioned, Proverbs 27, verse 4. It says, anger is cruel and very overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? So Solomon says here that anger is what? Solomon says here that anger is cruel. You know, when we allow anger to overcome us emotionally, we not only negative, negatively affect us, but as I mentioned, also those around us. You know, growing up as a child, I was faced with someone very close to me who, who really struggled with anger. And from that experience, I can tell you firsthand how cruel and painful anger can be. Anger can be very, very painful as, as a, for, for a person, not only for the person who struggles with anger, but again, those around that person. Not only does it affect them, but also those they know. And as we also know that the results are both immediate and also long-term. You have the immediate results and you have the long-term results. The immediate results or consequences can lead to mental and physical abuse. But the long-term results can lead to things like depression, a lack of self-worth, and even suicide in some cases because they were abused, and they were beat down. And because of that beat down, they lost any self-worth, any self-esteem, and eventually things like that can lead to suicide. Now, the other danger about anger is this. It's a learned behavior. Anger is a learned behavior. I believe in some ways it's in the DNA of those who struggle with it, but I also believe that it's a learned behavior. If a parent shows a lack of self-control through anger, their child may view that behavior as normal. They may view that as normal, and they themselves may repeat that in their own lives. 
And, you know, on a side note, you know, the Bible speaks about generational curses. It says things like, you know, to the 10th generation. And I don't believe that Yahweh punishes anybody purposely until the, you, know, you know, through those multiple generations. I think what we find there is that when we do something as people and we don't correct it, that the next generation will follow that pattern. And the generation after that will follow that pattern. And until we break that pattern, it will continue. And believe me, it's hard to break patterns of that nature. If we allow anger to take root, and then our children will learn that behavior, and their children will learn that behavior, and so on and so forth, it will go. So it's a learned behavior. You know, anger is cruel, it says. And I would also say far-reaching, because, again, it's multi-generational in response. You know, for this reason, as a believer, if we struggle with anger, I believe that we should really strive to overcome it. And again, we do that, number one, by acknowledging that it's present. We need to realize that we have an issue with that, and we need to be cognizant of that. And then number two, we need to strive to overcome that. And part of that, I believe, is learning how to love, show compassion, and most certainly to show humility. Now, in Ecclesiastes uh, 7, verse 9, we find how Yahweh views those who, who exhibit anger. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 9, it says, Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry. So don't be quick, he's saying. For anger rests in the bosom of fools. So number one, Yahweh says here not to be quick-tempered, not to be quick to be angry. Number two, we see here that Yahweh connects someone who is quick-tempered with a fool. With a fool. What does the word fool mean? Have you ever looked this up in Strong's? Or the word comes from the Hebrew kasil, that according to Strong's, it refers to someone who is literally stupid. That's what Strong says. I don't use that word too often, but I'll use it if Strong uses that word. Strong says it refers to someone who is stupid. So Yahweh here connects someone who is easily angered with stupidity. Now, why do you believe this is? Where's the link between someone who is easily angered and stupidity? Well, I think the reason for this is really quite simple. When we allow our anger to control our emotions and our actions, we make bad decisions. And when we make bad, bad decisions, it's going to negatively affect our lives and also those around us. There is the stupidity effect. I want to turn out to the New Testament, read what the New Testament says about anger, some important passages here. And I want to begin with the Apostle Paul, Ephesians 4, verse 26. Ephesians 4, verse 26 says, Be you angry. Actually, I should say, be you not angry. That's the way it's worded. So don't, don't confuse that. They're going to say, yeah, I learned everything I needed. He says, be you angry. I, no, that's not what it's saying. And sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. So we see here three lessons from the Apostle Paul. Well, lesson number one, he says, be not angry. I sort of put that not in there. It's, believe me, that's what it means. Be not angry. You know, since we believe here at YRM that the entire Bible is used for instruction and righteousness, that every word in the Bible, old and new, is valid, I view what Paul says here as a command. What we see here is a command. It's no different from the Torah. So when he says that we're not to be angry, this is not a recommendation. This is not an option. This is not something if we want to do, we can do it. But if we choose not to do, we don't have to do it. No, that's not the way it works. This is a command. Now, the word angry comes from the Greek or gidzo. And it means, quote, to provoke or enrage or to become exasperated. That's from Strong's, I believe. So what Paul's referring to here is not just anger. This is really rage. Paul says don't allow rage to take root, to, to overwhelm us emotionally. Well, lesson number two, this type of anger leads to sin. That's what we see here. He says sin not. So lesson number two, anger leads to sin. And as we know, sin is a violation of Yahweh's word. So when we allow ourselves to lose control, to become exasperated, we are in violation of Yahweh's word. And again, this is offensive, obviously, to the one we worship. Well, the last one here, lesson number three, we're not to allow anger to be long-term. 
Paul says here, let not the sun go down upon your anger. So when we become angry, we should very quickly strive to diffuse that anger. Not to allow it to be long term. Not to allow it to go into days. You know, I've seen some spouses in the faith hold grudges for months. I think I've even seen a few for years. For those doing this, realize that this too is a violation of Yahweh's word. You know, it's just as we're not to show angry, just as anger should not be long-term. Or things like this also should not be long-term. We should not be holding grudges. We should not be keeping a tally of wrongs. You know, Paul says that in, in, in the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, keep no record of wrongs. I know a few people, I don't, I don't think they have a physical board on hand with all the check marks of everything their spouse has ever done. But, uh, but mentally, it's up there. And as uh, believers, if, if we're to forgive, we're to let go of that forgiveness. Paul also speaks about anger in verse 31 of this passage. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Paul begins here by talking about bitterness. Bitterness. For this word comes from the Greek pikria, according to Thayer's, refers to, quote, extreme wickedness or bitter hatred. Bitter hatred. We also refers here to evil speaking. Now, the NIV renders this passage, or this word, I should say, is slander. So we find here that we're not to have bitter hatred within our hearts. We also find here that we're not to slander our fellow man. What's another word for slander, by the way? What do you think of when you think of slander? Or one thing I think of is gossip. Because when we're gossiping about somebody, believe me, we're slandering, we're slandering them. And scripture says don't slander. Don't speak evil. Don't gossip. We also see here that it mentions wrath and anger. Now, it goes to say that we're to put all these things from us. That we're to put all these things from us. You know, when I counsel for baptism... I often say that the life of a believer is more than simply keeping the commandments. It's also changing who we are on the inside. The fact is, we can keep the Sabbath. We can keep the feast days. We can even pronounce Yahweh's name just right. And at the end of the day, we can still lose, and we can still miss the mark. It doesn't, it does matter, but it doesn't matter if we're not living right, if we're not living virtuous lives, if we're not changing who we are on the inside, showing the selflessness, showing the compassion, showing the willingness to help others, no matter what we do, no matter how great we are when it comes to the commandments, we will fall short. You know, simply keeping the commandments were enough where we know that the scribes and Pharisees, we know where they would be, right? They would be in the kingdom. But we know, Matthew 23, this passage is known as the seven woes. And he gives seven woes to the scribes and Pharisees. In this passage, in one spot, he calls the scribes and Pharisees whited sepulchers. Whited sepulchers. Think about that for just a moment. What do you think the analogy is? Whited sepulchers. Or they, I'll tell you, they looked really good from the outside. Nice and clean and shiny. But within, it says, they were full of dead men's bones. You see, they were unclean. They had, they had, they had a sin, symbolically. You know, so much of Yahshua's teachings focused on who we should be on the inside. He also spoke about the Sabbath, of course. We know that he declared his Yahweh's name and things of that nature. We know that he kept the feast days. But think about it. Think about Yahshua's ministry. Think about his theme. It wasn't do this, do that, physical commandment, that physical. No, it was changing who we are on the inside. I think Yahshua spoke more about that much more than he spoke about anything else. And that's why it's so important that we not only focus on the commandments, like the Sabbath and the feast days, but also on who we are on the inside, changing who we are, making sure that we're showing love, making sure that we're showing forgiveness, making sure that we're not holding envy or jealousy or bitter hatred within our hearts. 
You know, which is easier, obeying the Sabbath or changing who we are on the inside? It's not the Sabbath. Which really concerns me because some people, they just can't get the Sabbath down. And when they can't get the Sabbath down, it really does concern me because the Sabbath is the easy part. The hard part is changing who we are on the inside. The hard part is changing our perspective, our selfishness, our anger, our envy, our jealousy. Changing again who we are in the inside. That's the hard part. That's the hard part. Well, let's look at Colossians 3, verse 8. We find here Paul referring to anger here. Colossians uh, 3, verse 8 says, But know you also, where now you also put off all these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. You know, for the most part, this is very similar to what we read in the book of Ephesians. Paul mentions here anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, and filthy communication. For a moment, I want to talk about filthy communication, because this really is an issue for me. So what does it mean? Well, according to Thayer's, this phrase, goes back to one Greek word, this phrase literally means communication that is, quote, foul or obscene. So when he says here, filthy communication, you can insert communication that is foul or obscene. Now, when I think of this definition, I think of two things. Number one, using bad or vulgar language. Number two, saying things that may be inappropriate for a believer. You know, saying jokes that are inappropriate and laughing. Ha, ha, ha. No, it's not funny. You know, for this reason, it bothers me when I hear a fellow believer cuss or use bad language, vulgar language. And, you know, even if it's minor, I, I'm, I'm kind of sensitive with that. I try not to offend anybody, but I am a little bit sensitive, especially for somebody who should know better. The Bible says that we should not be using filthy communication. Some of us, oh, that's not that bad of a word. Where if there's any negative connotation as, as it being a, a vulgar word, I avoid it. I avoid it. I would suggest the same for all of us. You know, some may, some may uh, describe me as a prude. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. You know, as disciples of the Messiah, we need to be very cognizant of the words we use. Not only just filthy communication, but really even the words we use. Because again, we, you know, Scripture speaks about using soft words. Soft words, not hard words. Not words that are going to inflame, but words that will diffuse. Now, be bad language, we again see here that we're not to be angry. We're not to be vengeful. Paul says here that we're to remove these things. I want to close with our passages with one more uh, passage here from James. James 1, starting in verse 19. This says, my dear brothers, take note of this. So what he's saying here is pay attention. Pay attention to what I'm going to say. He says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that Elohim desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly, look at that, humbly, humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. You know, we see so many lessons, I think, here. James begins by speaking about how we should be communicating with one another, he says, as believers, we should be uh, quick to do what? We should be quick to listen and slow to speak. Quick to listen, right? Slow to speak. You know what's amazing about this is not only is this you know, the, the simplicity behind it, but it's effectiveness within every aspect of our lives. I want that to sink in for just a moment. It's a very, very simple concept. Again, Quick to listen. So we sit there and we listen before anything else. And then once we've listened and once we've had time to understand what is being said, then we speak. Not the other way around. You know, so many of us, how many of us, don't raise your hand, we're all guilty of this. But how many of us, as somebody's speaking, we're thinking, or what, this is my reply. This is what I'm going to respond with. We're not listening. 
You know, there, there, when I was teaching project management, there, there's two concepts. One is passive listening. One is active listening. Active listening is, is being fully engaged in our listening, in the person we're listening to. Passive is just sort of that we're there, but we're not listening. So we should listen first, quick to listen, and again, slow to speak. And I guarantee if we do this, we're going to be more prosperous and we're going to have better relationships. And when I say better relationships, this includes our family, this includes our friends, this includes our work or coworkers, and yes, that even includes here in the assembly. If we are slow to speak and quick to listen, no matter what it is, we're going to be blessed if we do this. Now, we also see something here about anger. Number one, he says that we're to be slow to anger. We've heard this already, right? We're to be slow to anger. We saw in Ecclesiastes, those who are not slow to anger, that they're what? They're fools, right? What does fools mean, according to Strong's? Stupidity. Remember, I don't get that many chances to say stupidity, so I'll throw that in one more time. It's not a word I like to use for the most part, but it really does convey anger and the result of anger. Number two, we see here that anger does not reflect the righteousness this is of Yahweh. Or what does that mean? Or simply this, that when we show anger, this is not what Yahweh wants. This is not what Yahweh desires of us. He does not desire that we show excessive anger, that we show strife. Again, we know that this is sin. And one more thing here, notice in connection with anger, James also refers to moral filth and evil. All these things we're to avoid. Every one of these items we're to avoid, we're to remove from our lives. I want to close now by sharing with you an article. This is from the Mayo Clinic. It's entitled Anger Management, 10 Tips to Tame Your Anger. And I thought it was really, really good tips. I'm going to throw in an 11th one at the very end. You know, it's important as believers we develop everyday strategies to combat our anger if, if, we, if we struggle with it. And I would encourage you, if, if it's not anger, if it's envy, if it's jealousy, whatever it is, that we learn different techniques and methods to combat that because you know, as believers, we need to actively work on our issues. And believe me, we all have issues. Not a single person in this room is without issues. We all have issues, including myself. So we need to look and find ways to deal and overcome those issues. So I, I thought these were really good, so let's go through these. Ten tips to tame your temper from the Mayo Clinic. So number one, think before you speak. Now, some of these things we've already talked about, you'll, you'll, you'll sound familiar. It says, in the heat of the moment, it's easy to say something you'll later regret. If we're married, we've done this. We've done this. Take a few moments to collect your thoughts before saying anything and allow ourselves, others involved in the situation, to do the same. Don't say anything. Again, be, be uh, slow to speech, right? Slow to speak. Think about it. Number two, once you're calm, and notice some of this builds on one another. Once you're calm, express your anger. As soon as you're thinking clearly, that may take more time for some of us. Express your frustration in an assertive but non-confrontational way. That's a, you know, that's a really hard balance in some ways. Assertive but non-confrontational. It's almost like an oxymoron there, but it is possible. State your concerns and needs. You know, I would say be logical. Don't be emotional. Just simply state your concerns. Don't be aggressive. Don't be mean. Just state your concerns. State your concerns and needs clearly and directly without hurting others or trying to control them. You know, so often, whether we know it or not, or whether we're realizing it or not, we say things to control the situation. We say things to win the argument. We say things to hurt the other person. And we shouldn't do that. So again, once we're calm. Number three, get some exercise. Get some exercise. Physical activity can help reduce stress. That can cause you to become angry. If you feel your anger escalating, go for a brisk walk or run or spend some time doing other enjoyable physical exercises. And it's true, you know, exercise certainly reduces stress. So something we should all be doing as believers as well when we can. Number four, take a timeout. Timeouts aren't just for kids. Give yourself short breaks during times of the day that tend to be stressful. And that's true. You know, sometimes if we don't stop that, 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 um, that anger, that, that animosity, just that, that stress builds. 
which again does not help when we face situations of this nature. This is a few moments of quiet time might help you feel better prepared to handle what's ahead without getting irritated or angry. It puts us in the right mood. Number five, identify possible solutions. Instead of focusing on what made you mad, work on resolving the issue at hand. Does your child's messy room drive you crazy? Yes, it does. I can answer that as a father. Yes, it does. And they, she knows who she is. I have two, so um, I'm not going to say who. But it does. Okay, close the door, it says. Don't look at it. Is your spouse late for dinner every night? Schedule meals later in the evening. Or agree to eat on your own a few times a week. Remind yourself that anger won't fix anything and might only make it worse. And that's true. You know, we, we so often get angry at our emotions to get the best without really looking for a solution. We should be looking for solutions and, uh, and not allow that anger to uh, dictate how we, re- we uh, respond. Stick with I statements. I wasn't really crazy about this one, but I left it in there. I sort of understand what it's saying. It says, avoid criticizing or placing blame. So that's what it's conveying here. That's why it's saying use I. Because you don't want to say we or you. Use I. This is how I feel. This is, when you do this, this is how you make me feel. I think if it's done right, it's, 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 uh, it's good. If done wrong, it can be very bad. I, so, which might only increase tension. Use I statements to describe the problem. Be respectful and specific. Don't just say, you make me mad. Or, how do I make you mad? For example, say I'm upset when you, that you left the table without offering to help with the dishes. Instead of, you never do any housework. Again, there's always two ways to say anything. Okay, number seven, don't hold a grudge. We've already talked about this. Don't hold a grudge. Why? Because it's, this, too, is a violation of Yahweh's word. It says forgiveness is a powerful tool. If you allow anger and other negative feelings to crowd out positive feelings, you might find yourself swallowed up by your own bitterness and sense of injustice. And that happens. You know, people, they don't let it out. They sit there and they stew on things. And after they stew long enough, it really builds up. So we should not stew on things. We should, we should not hold grudges. We should not hold animosity. We should let it go. You know, I believe that there are two parts to forgiveness. I'll make this very quick. You have the part of forgiving the person for their infraction. So if somebody does us wrong, we have a responsibility, I believe, biblically, to forgive that person. And when I say that, that we're not holding animosity against that person, right? But there's another part, and that's called reconciliation. Now, reconciliation can't happen unless both parties are willing to reconcile. But we as people can do the first, right? We can let go of strife. We can let go of animosity. We can let go of grudges. Because, again, you know, the other thing is this, and I've seen this so many times in the past. Somebody will hold a grudge, and it's like they're forever. And the person they're holding the grudge against, they had no idea. So who's hurt in that situation? Is it the person that, 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 that is holding the grudge or the person that the grudge is about? Now, it's the person holding the grudge. Because the other guy or gal, they're oblivious, which happens a lot. Okay. Use humor to release tension. Some are better at this than others. I'm, I'm not real good at this. So make sure your, your humor is, is on spot. It says light, uh, lighting up, lightening up can help diffuse tension. Use humor to help you face what's making you angry and possibly any unrealistic expectations you have for how things should be. Avoid sarcasm, though, and that's where it gets me into trouble. Avoid sarcasm, though. It can hurt feelings and make things worse. That's my only humor. I'm sorry. That's why I'm not real funny up here, because my only funny is sarcasm, and no one wants sarcasm. Nine, practice relaxation skills. Uh, when, uh, when your temper flares, put relaxation skills to work. Practice deep breathing exercises. Imagine a relaxing scene or repeat a calming word or phrase such as take it easy. You might also listen to music, write in a journal. Had a few other things. I don't like to get into all this yoga stuff, so I, I took some of it out. But um, certainly, uh, you know, learn to relax. Find something that will calm, calm our uh, spirit there. Okay, 10, know when to seek help. Learn to control anger is a challenge. For everyone at times, seek help for anger issues if your anger seems out of control, causes you to do things you regret, or hurts 
those around you. Sometimes we can't do it alone. And that's just the reality. Sometimes as people, we can't do it alone. So we need to seek help. Now, whether that's going to another sister, maybe another brother in the faith, or maybe a family member, or maybe even a minister, it doesn't matter. Somebody who is willing and able to help you. So sometimes as a believer, we need to seek help. Now, they didn't have this one down because, again, it's the Mayo Clinic, but I'm going to throw this one in there. Read the word and pray, right? We need to read the word. It's amazing how that affects us. Have you ever done that? You're just agitated, and you go down, and you flip over the Bible, and you just start reading. And after maybe three or four or five minutes, you're, you're, you're calm. It's really changed your demeanor. And obviously, pray. You know, sometimes Yahweh can do, or, I mean, Yahweh can do always amazing things, And I think so often we need to turn it over to him and rely on him, rely and know that he can see us through. So as we see here, there's many, many ways we can deal with anger. We can deal even with jealousy and strife, that sort of thing. If as a believer we struggle with anger, we struggle with strife, I would encourage you to consider adopting one or more of these methods to help you cope, to help you overcome. You know, as we've seen throughout the Bible, anger is not something Yahweh wants. Anger is not something Yahweh approves us, approves of. Anger is not something that is good for us. Anger is not something that's good for those we know. Anger is not good. Certainly, it's not good if, it, if we allow it to uh, control us emotionally. So I pray that this message, message has been a blessing to you. I pray that it's helped. If you know someone that's maybe angry, you can uh, help them with this. But as believers, you know, no matter what it is, it doesn't matter if it's anger, strife, anxiety, depression, whatever it is, Yahweh has the answer. And again, remember, the, the, the bottom line as a believer is we're to do one thing, we're to overcome. No matter what it is, we're to overcome. So I pray it's helped, and I pray if, if your issue is not anger, just consider this as, again, believers, we need to make sure that we're overcoming, that we're following Yahweh. And whatever issue we do have, we need to make it a priority to change and to improve. May Yahweh bless you.